Chapter Two of Callista by John Henry Newman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Christianity in Sicca. The revellers went on their way. Agellius went on his and made for his lowly and lonely cottage. He was the elder of the two sons of a Roman legionary of the Secunda Italica, who had settled with them in Sicca, where he lost their mother and died, having in his old age become a Christian. The fortitude of some confessors at Carthage in the persecution of Severus had been the initial cause of his conversion. He had been posted as one of their guards, and had attended them to the scene of their martyrdom, in addition to the civil force, to whom in the proconsulate the administration of the law was committed. Therefore, happily for him, it could not fall to his duty to be their executioner, a function which, however revolting to his feelings, he might not have had the courage to decline. He remained a pagan, though he could not shake off the impression which the martyrs had made upon him, and after completing his time of service, he retired to the protection of some great friends in Sicca, his brother's home already. Here he took a second wife of the old Numidian stock, and supported himself by the produce of a small piece of land which had been given to him for life by the imperial government. If trial were necessary in order to keep alive the good seed which had been sown in his heart, he found a never-failing supply of that article in the companion of his declining years. In the heyday of her youth she might have been fitted to throw a sort of sunshine, or rather torchlight, on a military carouse, but now, when poor Strabo, a man well-to-do in the world, looking for peace, had fallen under her arts, he found he had surrendered his freedom to a malignant profligate woman, whose passions made her better company for evil spirits than for an invalided soldier. Indeed, as time went on, the popular belief, which she rather encouraged, went to the extent that she actually did hold an intercourse with the unseen world, and certainly she matured in a hatred towards God and man, which would naturally follow, and not unnaturally betoken such intercourse. The more then she inflicted on him her proficiency in these amiable characteristics, the more he looked out for some consolation elsewhere, and the more she involved herself in the guilt or the repute of unlawful art, the more he was drawn to that religion, where alone to commune with the invisible is to hold intercourse with heaven not with hell whether so great a trial supplied a more human inducement for looking towards christianity it is impossible to say most men certainly roman soldiers may be considered to act on mixed motives but so it was in fact that on his becoming in his last years a christian he found perhaps discovered to his great satisfaction that the church did not oblige him to continue or renew a tie which bound him to so much misery and that he might end his days in a tranquillity which his past life required and his wife's presence would have precluded he made a good end he had been allowed to take the blessed sacrament from the altar to his own home on the last time he had been able to attend the synaxis of the faithful and thus had communicated at least six months within his decease and the priest who anointed him at the beginning of his last illness also took his confession he died begging forgiveness of all whom he had injured and giving large alms to the poor this was about the year two thirty six in the midst of that long peace of the church which was broken at length by the decian persecution this peace of well-nigh fifty years had necessarily a peculiar and not a happy effect upon the christians of the proconsulate 
they multiplied in the greater and the maritime cities and made their way into positions of importance whether in trade or the governmental departments they extended their family connections and were on good terms with the heathen whatever jealousy might still be cherished against the christian name nevertheless individual christians were treated with civility and recognized as citizens though among the populace there would be occasions at the time of the more solemn pagan feasts when accidental outbursts might be expected of the antipathy latent in the community as we have been recording in the foregoing chapter men of sense however began to understand them better and to be more just to the reasonableness of their faith this would lead them to scorn christianity less but it would lead them to fear it more it was no longer a matter merely for the populace to insult but for the government deliberately to put down the prevailing and still growing unbelief among the lower classes of the population did but make a religion more formidable which as heathen statesmen felt was able to wield the weapons of enthusiasm and zeal with a force and success unknown even to the most fortunate impostors among the oriental or egyptian hierophants the philosophical schools were impressed with similar apprehensions and had now for fifty years been employed in creating and systematizing a new intellectual basis for the received paganism but while the signs of the times led to the anticipation that a struggle was impending between the heads of the state religion and of the new worship which was taking its place the great body of christians laymen and ecclesiastics were on better and better terms individually with the members of society or what is now called the public and without losing their faith or those embers of charity which favorable circumstances would promptly rekindle were it must be confessed in a state of considerable relaxation they often were on the brink of deplorable sins and sometimes fell over the brink and many would join the church on inferior motives as soon as no great temporal disadvantage attached to the act or the families of christian parents might grow up with so little of moral or religious education as to make it difficult to say why they called themselves members of a divine religion mixed marriages would increase both the scandal and the confusion a long repose says st cyprian speaking of this very period had corrupted the discipline which had come down to us every one was applying himself to the increase of wealth and forgetting both the conduct of the faithful under the apostles and what ought to be their conduct in every age with insatiable eagerness for gain devoted himself to the multiplying of possessions the priests were wanting in religious devotedness the ministers in entireness of faith there was no mercy in works no discipline in manners men wore their beards disfigured and women dyed their faces their eyes were changed from what god made them and a lying color was passed upon their hair the hearts of the simple were misled by treacherous artifices and brethren became entangled in seductive snares ties of marriage were formed with unbelievers members of christ abandoned to the heathen not only rash swearing was heard but even false persons in high place were swollen with contemptuousness poisoned reproaches fell from their mouths 
and men were sundered by unabating quarrels numerous bishops who ought to be an encouragement and example to others despising their sacred calling engaged themselves in secular vocations relinquished their sees deserted their people strayed among foreign provinces hunted the markets for mercantile profits and tried to amass large sums of money while they had brethren starving within the church took possession of estates by fraudulent proceedings and multiplied their gains by accumulated usuries the relaxation which would extend the profession of christianity in the larger cities would contract or extinguish it in remote or country places there would be little zeal to keep up churches which could not be served without an effort or without secular loss carthage utica hippo milivus or curibus was a more attractive residence than the towns with uncouth african names which amazed the ecclesiastical student in the acts of the councils vocations became scarce sees remained vacant congregations died out this was pretty much the case with the church and see of sicca at the time of which we write history preserves no record of any bishop as exercising his pastoral functions in that city in matter of fact there was none the last bishop an amiable old man had in the course of years acquired a considerable extent of arable land and employed himself principally for lack of more spiritual occupation in reaping stacking selling and sending off his wheat for the roman market his deacon had been celebrated in early youth for his boldness in the chase and took part in the capture of lions and panthers an act of charity towards the peasants round sicca for the roman amphitheatre no priests were to be found and the bishop became parochus till his death afterwards infants and catechumens lost baptism parents lost faith or at least love wanderers lost repentance and conversion for a while there was a flourishing meeting-house of tertullianists who had scared more humble minds by pronouncing the eternal perdition of every catholic there had also been various descriptions of gnostics who had carried off the clever youth and restless speculators and then there had been the lapse of time gradually consuming the generation which had survived the flourishing old days of the african church and the result was that in the year two fifty it was difficult to say of whom the church of sicca consisted there was no bishop no priest no deacon there was the old mansionarius or sacristan there were two or three pious women married or single who owed their religion to good mothers there were some slaves who kept to their faith no one knew how or why there were a vast many persons who ought to be catholics but were heretics or nothing at all or all but pagans and sure to become pagans on the ass there were agellius and his brother juba and how far these two had a claim to the christian name we now proceed to explain they were about the ages of seven and eight when their father died and they fell under the guardianship of their uncle whose residence at sicca had been one of the reasons which determined strabo to settle there this man being possessed of some capital drove a thriving trade in idols large and small amulets and the like instruments of the established superstition 
his father had come to Carthage in the service of one of the assessors of the proconsul of the day, and his son, finding competition ran too high to give him prospect of remuneration in the metropolis, had opened his statue shop in Sicca. Those modern arts which enable an English town in this day to be so fertile in the production of ware of this description for the markets of the pagan East were then unknown, and Jucundus depended on certain artists whom he imported, especially on two Greek, brother and sister, who came from some isle on the Asian coast for the supply of his trade. He was a good-natured man, self-indulgent, positive, and warmly attached to the reigning paganism, both as being the law of the land and the vital principle of the state, and while he was really kind to his orphan nephews, he simply abominated, as in duty bound, the idiotic cant and impudent fee-fa-fum to which, in his infallible judgment, poor old Strabo had betrayed his children. He would have restored them, you may be quite sure, to their country and to their country's gods, had they acquiesced in the restoration. But in different ways these little chaps, and he shook his head as he said it, were difficult to deal with. Agellius had a very positive opinion of his own on the matter. And as for Juba, though he had no opinion at all, yet he had an equally positive aversion to have thrust on him by another any opinion at all even in favor of paganism. He had remained in his catechumen state since he grew up, because he found himself in it, and though nothing would make him go forward in his profession of Christianity, no earthly power would be able to make him go back. So there he was, like a mule, stuck fast in the door of the church, and feeling a gratification in his independence of mind. However, whatever his profession might be, still as time went on he plainly took after his stepmother, renewed his intercourse with her after his father's death, and at length went so far as to avow that he believed in nothing but the devil, if even he believed in him. It was scarcely safe, however, to affirm that the senses of this hopeful lad were his own. Agellius, on the other hand, when a boy of six years old, had insisted on receiving baptism, had perplexed his father by a manifestation of zeal, to which the old man was a stranger and had made the good bishop lose the corn-fleet which was starting for Italy, from his importunity to learn the catechism. Baptized he was, confirmed, communicated. But a boy's nature is variable, and by the time Agellius had reached adolescence, the gracious impulses of his childhood had in some measure faded away, though he still retained his faith in its first keenness and vigor. But he had no one to keep him up to his duty no exhortations no example no sympathy his father's friends had taken him up so far as this that by an extraordinary favour they had got him a lease for some years of the property which strabo a veteran soldier had held of the imperial government the care of this small property fell upon him and another and more serious charge was added to it the long prosperity of the province had increased the opulence and enlarged the upper class of sicca officials contractors and servants of the government had made fortunes and raised villas in the neighbourhood of the city natives of the place returning from rome or from provincial service elsewhere had invested their gains in long leases of state lands or of the farms belonging to the imperial res privata or privy purse and had become virtual proprietors of the rich fields or beautiful gardens in which they had played as children 
one of such persons who had had a place in the officium of the quaestor or rather procurator as he began to be called was the employer of agellius his property adjoined the cottage of the latter and having first employed the youth from recollection of his father he confided to him the place of under bailiff from the talents he showed for farm business such was his position at the early age of twenty-two but honourable as it was in itself and from the mode in which it was obtained no one would consider it adapted under the circumstances to counteract the religious languor and coldness which had grown upon him and in truth he did not know where he stood further than that he was firm in faith as we have said and had shrunk from a boy upwards from the vice and immorality which was the very atmosphere of sicca he might any day be betrayed into some fatal inconsistency which would either lead him into sin or oblige him abruptly to retrace his steps and find a truer and safer position he was not generally known to be a christian at least for certain though he was seen to keep clear of the established religion it was not that he hid so much as that the world did not care to know what he believed in that day there were many rites and worships which kept to themselves many forms of moroseness or misanthropy as they were considered which withdrew their votaries from the public ceremonial the catholic faith seemed to the multitude to be one of these it was only in critical times when some idolatrous act was insisted on by the magistrate that the specific nature of christianity was tested and detected then at length it was seen to differ from all other religious varieties by that irrational and disgusting obstinacy as it was felt to be which had rather suffer torments and lose life than submit to some graceful or touching or at least trifling observance which the tradition of ages had sanctioned End of chapter two